kids, you're working with special needs students, whatever you, whatever you teach, you make sure the gospel is centered. The, the world can teach us many things, but the church's job is to be stewards of the gospel. That's what we want to, to teach. Number one, the faithful stewardship of, of, of ministry. Number two is the fearful sentence. The fearful sentence of ministry. Whose judgments of you matter most? When you think about your life, when whose opinion of you matters most? Uh, I know growing up, the, the, the man's opinion that mattered most to me was, was my dad. Right? Uh, I always wanted to please my father, to make sure that he was approved of, of me. Uh, now it's probably my wife. I want to make sure my wife is approved of me. And my children, I want them to be approved of, of their, their father. Uh, but I think so often in life, we value the wrong judgments, the wrong opinions of us. And this is what Paul is getting at here in verse 3. But what with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. Uh, now, those of you who do aspire to, to, to the ministry, you are going to be judged constantly by your people. Welcome to the world of, of leadership. If you are a leader, whether you're a boss at work, whether you're a teacher in, in a school setting or you're a pastor of a church, you are going to be judged. People are always going to analyze you. They're going to approve or disapprove you, right? And how freeing is this thought? Paul says, I don't really care what you think. The final opinion, your opinion of me, does not matter. Because one day I'm going to stand before God and it's his opinion that really matters. And how much time, how much angst, and how much confusion and hurt do we bring upon ourselves because we value the wrong judgments? We value what these individuals say. You know, there's been times, in, even in the life of this church, that I have valued the opinion of some of you far more than I ought. And your opinion has crippled my ministry because I'm so concerned with, what if I say this, how does this person respond? Rather than, than stepping back and realizing, Lord, I just want to be obedient to you. I want to fear you. I want to honor you more than any, any man. This is what Paul is saying. It is a very small thing to be judged by you or any human court. And I think this idea of small things is really important to us. What if people don't like you? It's a very small thing. There's a lot of people who are not going to like you in life. Right? It's a very small thing. In comparison to what God thinks of you. This is, this is the, the, the weight of the, of the text here. Look how he goes on. He says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. That's an interesting statement. I, I'm not only concerned, I'm not, I'm not concerned with, with how you judge me. I'm not even concerned how I judge myself. And I love how he says this. He says, for I am not aware of anything against myself. I don't think I've done anything wrong. I think I've done things with, with good integrity. I think I've served and loved my people. We even see that at the end of, of um, Acts 20 when Paul says that I'm guilt, I'm, I'm innocent of the blood of you all. I, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. You see it again in Thessalonians how he says that I was entrusted with this gospel. And you know how I labored night and day to serve you, how I gave myself for you. This was Paul's life. He says, I don't think I've done anything wrong, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. That doesn't mean I'm innocent. What does he say? For I am not aware of anything that's myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, 
who will bring to light the things that are hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let me just say a few things here. This is an excellent verse in how you handle conflict. A wonderful verse. Because you may have a conflict with someone and you could say, I've done nothing wrong. I, I, I don't have anything against you. I can't think of anything in my head that I've done to hurt or offend this person. That does not mean you're innocent. You still could have done something. I remember talking to a young woman um, who was telling me over and over again how I've done, I haven't done anything, I haven't done anything, I haven't done anything, but I knew that people who, who she was talking about had been offended by this person. And I wanted to say, just because you think you haven't done anything wrong doesn't mean you haven't. Sometimes we hurt people unknowingly, and we don't even realize that we do it. I know that there's some of you who I've hurt and offended, and I didn't know I did it. And so you opened your mouth and disclosed this is what happened, and, and I, me thinking I was innocent actually was, was guilty uh, of sin against the people that God has called me to shepherd in love. I love how Paul says that. So in relationships, we, in conflict, we realize that maybe there is fault in us. We look at examine our own heart, we, we test and we approve, and then we leave it to the Lord at the end. There's the trust. I, I, I'm going to confess the sin in my life where I think there's sin, and then I'm just going to leave it to the Lord to judge at the last day. And this is the same thing when, when you're dealing with somebody else. The other person may be innocent as well. We may be guilty and the other person may, may be guilty, but the other person may be innocent. God is going to reveal that in his time. Do not make the judgment before it happens. You know, you think about uh, this, this is the context here is ministry. Now, Paul is being accused as someone who is not a very good speaker. I mentioned this before, but he's kind of like a short, stocky, bald, crooked nose, unibrow, stuttering speaker. He's not the guy like, that's the guy we want at the Passion Conference, right? He's the guy that we want to put in front of people. So people were saying, Paul does not really have uh, a good ministry uh, because of his presentation is poor. Or he doesn't really have a good ministry because he is being, as we will see, um, he's being beaten and in prison and jailed. Therefore, God must not be approved of him. Remember we talked about this this morning, this idea of... Um, Habakkuk was complaining against God, there is so much wickedness among the people of God. Justice is going forth perverted, and God, I'm calling out to you, and you are not answering me. He has this complaint against God, and God says, uh, I'm doing a work. The wheels are in motion, judgment is going to happen, be patient. See, he couldn't see it, and yet God was still, was still working. I think that when we think about our lives and our lives specifically in ministry, only time will tell if it's a fruitful ministry. You can have numbers and a crowd, but that does not mean you're successful. You can have a nice house and a good bank account, but that does not mean you're successful. Uh, look at the, the houses around here today. There's a lot of construction happening. Uh, new houses are kind of flying up left and right. Now, the, the, the test is not how fast you build that house, but how long that house will last. And there's a lot of houses that are built really quickly, and they're built really well, and they're going to survive. And there's some houses that, that are, are built quickly, and they look great, but they start falling apart really, really soon. And we think about that same analogy in the life of the church and, and ministry. There's some ministries that are built really fast, but they're built on straw. And they're going to they're they're burn. 
They're not going to, they're not, they're not built with silver gold that are going to be refined by the fire. Uh, there's some ministries that are built, churches that are built, ministries that are built very fast, and God gives a special anointing of the Spirit, and the church grows, and we say praise God for that, and they're going to survive. But size and speed does not indicate success. You know, we can be discouraged because on a Sunday night, our church is not full, and there's a lot of brown pews open, okay? That means we should probably invite a friend, right? Uh, but it also does not mean that we're unsuccessful. You know, early on in, in, in ministry, I know for me, you always feel encouraged or discouraged based on the attendance. You start pastoring and you, you feel encouraged when there's a lot of attendance and you feel discouraged when there's not. Um, but as you grow, you realize that God brings who God wants to bring when he wants to bring them. God has ordained all of you to be here tonight. God has prepared this message for you tonight in the pew, period. God has done that. God has chosen other people to stay at home. That's the Lord's doing, right? Remember we talked about last week. We plant and we water, but who brings the increase? God. God is the one who brings the increase. So we just keep planting and watering. The same thing for your ministries. You're ministering to a family member and you're discouraged because you don't see the fruit. Keep planting, keep watering, keep planting, keep watering. And God, in his good time, will bring, bring the increase. We just have to continue to be faithful unto him. Do not judge before the time, before the Lord comes. He will bring the things to light that are hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And each person, each one will receive his commendation from God. So we live before this fearful sentence of God. Uh, there's that quorum uh, dea, we live before the face of God. That's who we're, who we're trying to please. We're not trying to please our, uh, the external people in our life. We, 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 we always want to, to be liked, and there's always this approval of, of our own hearts. But, beloved, we want to live before that day when we stand before God, and he's the one who gives us the final commendation. He's the one that says, well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. Right? We want to be faithful unto him, that his opinion matters the most. The Lord will reveal what we cannot see. Then we see this idea of, of, of humility here in verse 6. Uh, this fearful sentence, I think that we, we, we should easily have this humble spirit. Look at verse 6. He says, I have applied all these things to myself and, and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. This idea of going against each other is, is detrimental in, in the eyes of God, and it's, it can destroy a church. Anytime factions develop, whether it's a factions in leadership, a faction in, in um, a certain type of ministry, or a faction in a certain type of music. When you sow dissension among the brothers, God hates it. It is of the flesh, and he will have none of it in his church. Right? So we can't go with the flesh, we have to fight against the flesh, and walk in the spirit. And this is one of the ways he, how he does that. He says, I'm applying this idea that not to judge before it's time, uh, it, between me and Apollos, we're just servants and stewards. Why? Verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything you have, church, has been a given to you by God. Right? The breath in your lungs, the, the, the ability to read, the ability to be, be raised in a country that has all the freedoms that, that we have, Loving parents, um, your ability to understand God's word, 
Uh, your ability even right now to, 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 to process the words that are going into your head and forming thoughts in your brain, all of that is given to you by God. All the success you have in ministry has been given to you by God. If you are a faithful worker and you get promoted in your job, it's not because you're great, because God has given you great gifts. Right? It is all about the Lord. And I think this, this needs to be said again and again because the natural person wants to think about how great we are, isn't it? We want to puff ourselves up. God really, really needs me. God doesn't need any of us, but yet he chooses to use us, right? He chooses to take sinners who were wretches and evil in, did evil things um, and rebelled against him to transform them to be his, his servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. God takes us from from being wretches, and he makes us his treasure. His treasure, because he loves us. But everything that we have has been given to us by him. Everything that we have. So if God brings Park Baptist Church to a place of, of success, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. If your Sunday school class grows from, from three people to 20 people, to God be the glory. It is God who brings the increase. Everything that you have did you not receive? This is something that we should constantly be sharing with our children, the people that we're discipling, that we should foster a sense of humility. A couple, um, probably about six months ago, uh, it came very clear to me that in some of the young men that I've been discipling, I just saw a, an arrogance in them. And I think the arrogance I saw was their pride in good theology, their pride in their, their doctrine of the church, uh, their pride in discipleship and evangelism. All really, really good things. But they started looking down upon other churches and looking down upon other people who didn't have it. And I think what they, they forgot is that your ability to have good doctrine, your ability to have good discipleship and have good evangelism is a gift to you by God. And I had to analyze my own heart that I was not teaching this. I was not fostering a humble spirit. Probably because I had pride in my own life. We'll see here later on when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think that um, they were imitating me when they probably saw a lot of pride in my heart. And seeing that kind of reflected back, back at you was, is a wonderful thing. This is why God gave you children, right? So you could see the sins in your children coming back at you. It is God's kindness to you to see those things and that we can work to rectify them in our own children and in our own hearts. Paul says this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, Paul, even talking about the gift of being an apostle, my ability to be a, a do do ministry was by the grace of God. The third thing we see here about ministry, it's a foolish spectacle, a foolish spectacle of ministry. Look at verse 8. Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. Now he's kind of poking at the pride and the arrogance of this Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthian church was known for their gifts. They were known for their tremendous spiritual gifts, gifts of prophecy. And yet the thing that they lack the most is love between the saints. That's why chapter 13 is written, that rebuking chapter of, of love is patient, love is kind. You are not loving and you are not patient and you are not kind. Uh, you do not um, lay down your preferences for the sake of the body, but you seek your own way. It's a rebuke. And he's, he's kind of rebuking the church here because this church thought that they had, what it, they had it all together because of their wealth, um, because of their gifts. And this is what Paul says. And, and would that you do not reign so that we might rule with you. 
some sarcasm here, verse 9. You see, for I think that God has exhibited us. Notice what he's saying here. This is what I think God is doing with us. I don't think he's, he's st- stating it verbatim. I know the mind of God. But he's saying, listen, this is what I think God is doing in my life. This is why God has allowed this to happen. That us apostles, I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Paul, as, you, as, as we'll, actually let me just continue to read this, and he, we'll, we'll talk about it, and we'll talk about the why that it happens. Verse 10, it says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled we bless, when persecuted we endure, when slandered we entreat, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. They are in in the worldly eyes, they are failures. They are failures. They are Homeless, they are poorly dressed, they are reviled, they are persecuted. That is not the the recipe for success. And they're saying, God has done this to us. God has allowed us to be persecuted. God has allowed us to be fools. God has allowed us to be homeless. God has done this. Why? To make a spectacle to the world. To show everyone that loving Christ is more important than worldly things. We know from 2 Corinthians that they know that they have the sentence of death, so they would not trust on themselves, they would rely on God who raises the dead. This is what he's trying to display. Even go back to chapter 1. At the end of chapter 1, it says that, for considering your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The Corinthians were boasting in themselves and not in the power of God. And Paul's saying, we as apostles are being exhibited to the world so that we would know that God's servants are trusting in him and him alone. It's a powerful passage when we think about this. And God did this. Paul did not care to win respect from the world, but he wanted to be a servant of the gospel and a steward of the mysteries of God. He did not care if anyone knew his name as long as they knew the name of Christ. And I think this is just a heart check for us, you know, living in the West. The, the values of the West are, are flipped in the kingdom. The West values uh, comfort. The West values wealth, authority, and position. And God kind of flip, flips that on its head and says, I value faithfulness. And at the end of the day, I will show you what's successful and what's not. We can judge our, ourselves, our lives, our ministry, comparing it to somebody else, and we can be discouraged. But when we compare it to, are we being faithful unto the Lord? Is the Lord pleased with our labors? Are we trying to the best of our ability to love him, to honor him, to honor our spouses, to honor our kids? If you're doing that, 
God is pleased. God is pleased in Christ. How the world judges or how God judges. We even see that verse again from Habakkuk this morning. You know, Habakkuk was saying that the people of God are being wicked. God, why aren't you answering? So he said, I'm going to send the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are going to come and destroy the people of God. We know that they were sent into exile. And then he says, the Babylonians, but they need to be punished too for their wickedness. And God says, I got that covered. Right? And at the end of Habakkuk chapter 3, he has these great words. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the gold, and there be no herd, and I in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. If I have nothing and I have the Lord, I rejoice in him. If I have nothing, I have, I have the Lord, I rejoice in him. And you know, how hard is that practically, right? When we, we lose something that we think that we want, when we lose our sleep, for example, right? Uh, when we, 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 someone takes our nap away, sometimes there's something that rises up in us and we have this indignation Yet, we have the Lord. We should rejoice. You know, some of you, I know, are going through difficult trials right now. And that's hard. And why has God brought these trials into your life? I don't know. One day, God is going to reveal that to you. Why you're going through this particular trial. But we know from God's word that he wants to use this trial to mold you, to shape you, to form you more into the image of Christ. And not only do that to you, but that you would radiate his glory to the people around you, at your work, in your families. So they would see Christ in you. They would see that you love Christ more than the things of this world. Why does does this person so happy or so joyful in the midst of their trials? Because they have Christ. They have Christ. This is what Habakkuk is saying. I will rejoice in the Lord. Lastly, we want to have this the fatherly spirit of ministry. This fatherly spirit of ministry. Look at verse 14. Paul saying, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as beloved children. See the motive there? The motive is not to, to, to throw shame at people. Even now, I mean, I never saw it before, but I think maybe there is something in, in maybe uh, the circles that some of us may run in that wants to shame our brothers and sisters. That we want to throw shame on them for what they're doing rather than honoring them truly as brothers and sisters in Christ. During our Bible study this past week on, on Tuesday, uh, Casey made a point of how we as Christians need to be more gracious of the church in general. Because it is the church of the living God that was purchased with his own blood. And I think sometimes there's this something that arises up in us that we look down upon others. And, and Paul says, listen, I don't want to shame you. I want to admonish you. I want to warn you. Because I love you. Is the motive love or is the motive shame? It is very easy to, to slander or make fun of um, ministries that we may disagree with. Or churches that we may disagree with. But does that honor God? I don't think Paul was very pleased 
with what was happening in the Corinthian church. We'll look at next week that there was sin openly in the church. There was disagreement. There was dissension. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm not here to shame you. I'm here to warn you. You have have many guides in Christ, but I'm your father. I'm the one who led you to the Lord. I love you. Does you see the tenderness there that God has for his people? Even in these words from Paul? Verse 15, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You know, it's amazing that how often the Bible talks about this familiar language. You know, I'm reading a book right now, uh, When the Church Was a Family. And uh, the book is fascinating because it's trying to, to put you in first century world. If you were in the first century, how did they hear the word brothers and sisters? And the author just keeps on showing again and again and again how when push comes to shove, the most valued relationship in the biblical culture is the brother and sister relationship. It is the blood relationship of a brother or a sister. That bond is more intimate. So think about that, the intimacy again and again of the brother and sister relationship of the first world culture that you would choose your sister or your brother over your spouse. Now in our culture, that's, that's weird, right? But in the culture of the scriptures, that's what it was. And what do you hear this? You're, you're my brothers and sisters. You even see it up there in, in, in verse 6. For your benefit, brothers. You're my brothers and sisters. You are the closest and the highest valued relationship I have in my life. This familiar language. Here it's fathers. I have become your father in Christ Jesus with the gospel. Then he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Uh, I was talking to a friend recently and he uh, had two girls. And uh, he says that uh, with his girls, he said, I want you to find find a man like your dad. I want you to find one who cares for your mom like I do. Uh, who who loves you, who loves Christ. I want you to watch me and how I live my life, and I want you to find someone like me. That's gutsy, right? But every single one of us men should be able to say that. I want you to find someone to care for you like I care for your mother. I want you to find someone who walks with God like I walk with God. Not in a boastful way, because we know the only way that we walk with God is because we have been given faith by the Holy Spirit. Right? The only way that we can, can honor our, our families is because God has given this to us so that we would boast not in ourselves, but on, on God, and the God who gives this power. Paul says, be imitators of me. And if you, if you look and read Paul's letters, as I said, he, 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 his testimony to the churches is often how he did his ministry among them. You know... First uh, Thessalonians 2, how I labored night and day so that I would not take anything from you but that I would provide for my own needs. You know how like a, like a father with his children, I exhorted and encouraged all of you to, to live unto the Lord. Like a mother who, who tenderly cares for her children, I, I shared not only my, 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 uh, the gospel with you, but my very self with you. That is the language he says again and again and again. So if you're going to do ministry, you need to lay your life down for the people that you're serving. So let's say you're a parent and the ministry God's given you is your children. Because if you're a parent, the ministry God's given you is your children. 
How are you laying down your life, stewarding the mysteries of God in the lives of your children? How are you sacrificing your comfort to pray for your children? Or sacrifice your time, your schedule, to, to pour in the scripture? How many, when's the last time you, you said, hey, listen, I want you to memorize this verse of scripture with me. And I want to show you how I can memorize the scripture. Or I want you to, to be reading the Bible with me. Uh, I want you to sit next to me in church on Sunday, and I want you to watch how I pay attention to the sermon. I want you to watch how I, how I sing unto the Lord. Right now, Paul's saying, imitate me, watch me, model, watch my example. But you know what? You don't have to tell your kids that. The kids are already doing it. They're watching you, right? And listen, we are not just caring for our children in our own home, but all of you should be caring about all the children in our church. How we love the kids in our church may be having, maybe the thing that you, the Holy Spirit uses to draw them unto Christ. I know that my kids look up to you. I know they do. How powerful is that? That my kids are watching you and your walks with Christ, and they're trying to imitate you. We have many guides, but not many fathers, Paul says. Follow me as I follow Christ. And beloved, if we can't say that, why not? It's probably a problem with us. It's not this boastful, like I have it all together, right? We don't have it all together, right? We are sinners saved by God's grace. We constantly need the Lord, even as we just saying, Lord, I need you. I need you every hour. We are desperate for the Lord. But you have to follow me as I work with all my heart to follow and please Christ. This is what he says. This is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to you. Remind you of the ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church. What are the ways of Christ? Humility. Joy. Gentleness. Peace. Kindness. Forbearing. Patience. Long-suffering. Outdoing one another in honor. Not repaying evil for evil, but uh, overcoming evil with good. Living in peace and harmony with one another. Listen, this is just natural. All churches everywhere, this is the, the how the church should look. We should look as a, as a family who lives into Christ, who loves each other because of what Christ has done for us. When we look at that, how much we deserve because of our sin, eternal wrath, damnation in hell forever. And God gives us mercy. He says, you're not going to go there, but because of Christ dying in your stead, I'm going to take you to be one of my treasures, one of my, my, my people. And I'm going to mold you and shape you, become in the very image of my son, and live as a witness of the resurrection until the last day. That's what God does to us. It's the ways of Christ. Do you know how much of a privilege it is to teach God's word? It's a privilege. And I'm not even talking about here on a Sunday night as a pastor preaching to you. It's a privilege. Amen. But anytime you open God's word, it's a privilege. So when Braden, as we talked about on Wednesday, meets with Nate and he teaches God's word, that's a, that's a privilege. That's a joy. Right? When Travis, when eventually Connor meets with you, right, You're gonna, it's going to be a joy for you. You know, Joel and Caroline, when you teach Sunday school, when you open God's words to the hearts of those little children, it is a blessing. Amber, same thing. 
Bobby, when you have the, those, those kids, those kids, those adults on, on Sunday morning, right, when you're laboring day in and day out to, to, to study that lesson, to give it to, to those, those dear saints, that's a blessing. Lindsay, same thing. Helen, I mean, I'm just looking at you, and you're all teaching God's Word. And that is a privilege and a joy that you get to be like the Apostle Paul, right, to, to teach the ways of Christ to God's people. The most valuable thing that he has in his life. And you don't have to have a position in the church to do that. You just have to love Christ and help others love him too. Verse 18, we'll close here. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And you've got to love Paul for this. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. That's a jab right there. We'll see what's true. Yes, I'm going to wait to the, to, the, to the last day to finally judge myself, but I'm pretty sure I'm in the right here. And I'm going, to, I'm going to see these arrogant people, and I'm going to see, do they have the power of God in their life? And the power of God is really a life lived unto Christ. Do they have humility and, and joy and, and peace and patience? Verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. And if the spirit that, let, that, that rose Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will give life to your mortal bodies. Right now, he will help you overcome sin. He will help you have a, 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 a happy disposition towards your, towards your family. He will give you peace and contentment in your jobs. He will give you that mortal power. Now and in the last day. When we close our eyes in death, he will raise us to be with him in glory. If we share in a death like his, we will certainly share in a resurrection like his. Verse 21, very simply, he says, What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? He knows this church has issues, and he's going to have to deal with them. He says, Listen, I want to come in a spirit of love and gentleness. I'm trying to warn you and admonish you like a father does to his children. And how many times have you said this to your own kids? Guys, I want you to obey me. I want you to do what your, what your daddy wants you to do because you love me. I'm pleading with you, do this. Honor your mom. Obey us. But if you don't, I am required by God to bring the rod, to discipline and correct. It's the same thing with the church. And he gives specifically the next passage is, is how do I bring that rod? This is what my expectations of you are in this particular situation. And if you don't do it, I'll be forced to bring the rod. And I think, can I just say this? Next week's sermon on this topic is particularly important in the life of our church. Because we don't do the rod well in our congregation. I think that we are doing a wonderful job in discipleship. I think we're doing a wonderful job in preaching the word. I think we're doing a, a, a decent job. I can't say great, but a decent job in, in evangelism. But we are not doing a good job with the rod. We are not doing a good job encouraging and entreating and, and correcting those who have gone astray from Christ. With a tenderness and yet with a, a holy jealousy for God's holiness. So I pray that you would be here next week as we think about that. But my prayer for tonight is that you would all be faithful stewards for Christ. That you'd serve whoever God's entrusted to you, laying your life down for them, and you would appreciate the sweet gift of being a, a steward of the mysteries of God, helping people find reconciliation with God in Christ. 
I pray that that would be our life's aim. Father, we thank you so much for tonight. Oh God, I pray that you would make this church a place of one who's laying down their lives for others. That they're pouring their lives out again and again for their, for their spouses, for their children, for their brothers and sisters in this church. And God, I pray that we would steward the mysteries of God well. God, that we would not be silent, but we would share. God, we thank you so much for Christ who died and rose again. So that we know that we have the power of God in our ministries. So God, we pr- thank you so much for all that you've given to us. All that you have promised to give to us in the future. For you who did not spare your own son, but graciously gave uh, him to us, how will you not graciously in him give us all things? Oh God, we thank you for tonight. Uh, We pray the rest of our evening would be an opportunity for us to serve and to share what you have done for us uh, with the men uh, at the shelter. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.